Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome and thanks for hanging out with us. Today we're chatting with someone at the top of their category in multiple categories an elite entrepreneur. We're going to talk about lessons in leadership with Jim Rafferty. And later in this episode, we have an insider's brief about finding your clarity, resolve, and purpose. Yeah, all three. When you need someone to help you rise up through the different levels of growth, you're best served by having a coach help you the entire way. We're bringing in the special forces, and I'll tell you more about that later on in this episode. Now, you're here listening to this because You want to grow your business. You want to take things to another level, of course. And as an entrepreneur like you, I get caught up in the running of business and I don't focus on leadership. I don't think about it because I'm so busy seeing that things get done and this gets done and that gets done. Yet, it's the difference between a successful business and a business falling apart. You know this. We all say it. We all mouth it off. It makes all the difference in the world. Now, I'm not talking about how you treat people. I'm talking about getting out of that rut. I'm talking about actionable steps you should take. I'm talking about what leadership is and what it's not. And while we're here, by the way, this is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. We want to help you get very successful at growing your business to a high sustainable level. Whether you're at five, six, seven, eight digits or more, The whole goal here is to give you some insights and take you up to the next rung. At least that's my goal for you. Meet Jim Rafferty. He's a marketing and communications consultant, a former radio announcer and program director with three decades of marketing experience helping businesses communicate better. And this is the interesting thing. He's going to tell us how he became a leader by accident. Let's get into it. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Tony, thank you. Great to be here. The honor is mine, Jim. We're all looking forward to learning lessons in leadership. And my intro says it all. And before we kind of dive in, I'd love to know, how did it all start for you? This part of the story began on Super Bowl weekend of 2008 uh, in here in the Baltimore area. When a local attorney named John Browning and his wife and their two younger sons were all shot to death by their oldest son, who was then 15 years old. And I'll tell you, as horrifying as it is to hear that out of the blue, um, it was it was worse in reality. And I come into that story because John, the father, was the scoutmaster of the Boy Scout troop that our son belonged to. Our son, Matt, was 12 years old at that time, and all three of the Browning boys were members of the troop. So a few days later, I was the new scoutmaster of the troop, which probably doesn't sound like a huge deal, right? The, The scoutmaster doesn't carry the nuclear football or anything, but. It's a pretty demanding volunteer job in the best of times, and this was clearly anything but the best of times. We did not know if the troop would survive. And at at this critical moment, they turned to a guy, me, who had been a Boy Scout for all of about two weeks as a kid. I really didn't like it, Um, really had no scouting leadership experience or any kind of outdoor skills like, you know, being a camper or a big hiker or knowing how to canoe or any of the things you'd want your scoutmaster to know. So it was a very unusual choice. And, you know, I remember sitting in the meeting where that happened and looking around the room at the the committee and saying, folks, there are 12 people in this room and 11 of them have more scouting experience than I do. So I'm a little puzzled by this. But if this is really what you think is best for the troop right now, then so be it. Okay, I'll give it a try. And that was one of the best decisions I ever made, because the next five years as Scoutmaster were life changing in terms of, yes, leadership lessons in terms of the physical challenges of some of the things we did in camping and hiking and and all of that, and and just really changed me. But more to the point, maybe for our purposes today, is part two of that story is that a few years later, I lost the job that I'd had for almost 21 years to that point. And honestly, I was never wired to be an entrepreneur. It had never occurred to me to do anything other than have somebody else hand me a paycheck every couple of weeks and provide my health care and all the things that go with that. 
And because of that first set of experiences of stepping out of my comfort zone into the scoutmaster role, I found myself now hanging out my shingle as a marketing consultant and launching my own business. And uh, we're about two months away from that being 10 years ago. And it's been, you know, also life changing. I mean, both of those experiences, but it's definitely, you know, 100% to me that that first step out of my comfort zone into that volunteer role that I was so ill prepared for is what fueled that second step into, you know, off the ledge, so to speak, into entrepreneurship. This is quite a sad story. And my wife has worked in medical for three decades. And when I hear this story, it just, it, it just does something, even though I don't know the people it it's, what is it? The, uh, the um, empathy. It's just so sad to hear anyone meet an untimely demise. And that's very, very shocking. And then to go into another role, there's a couple different places I want to go with this, but the one thing I want to make sure I, I touch upon is you went from a career job into marketing. You had this vision. You had this, hey, I can do this with my life. I can be this entrepreneur. Can you take us into that moment of what made you turn your experience into a business and go down that route? Sure. I, I was already a, a marketing manager for a company. I had done that, as I said, for about two decades and also a, a sales manager there also. So I had the I had the background. I had the marketing toolkit. What I didn't have was the mindset that says, hey, let's go do this and I can do this on my own. And, you know, the the thing about it is that it was so unlike me in hindsight. You know, I did it. But then you look back later and you reflect and you think, well, whatever gave me the courage to, you know, to do that to file the paperwork, launch the company, come back home, tell the state of Maryland to stop sending the unemployment checks, you know, and say, I can do this. And, and the answer very clearly was that first set of experiences and some of the challenges I'd had as a, as a scoutmaster. It was an incredibly rewarding and changing several years that I had. The next thing I think about is, well, why that out of anything else that you could have done? What's your purpose or reason behind doing that? Was there what was it that made you go down that route no matter what was going to come as a result? Yeah, I think marketing kind of found me. It's interesting. I, so before that, I was a radio announcer and program director, which on paper really prepares you for nothing else. I mean, <laughs> you come out of radio and you look at your resume and you go, OK, nobody knows what that means. And, you know, OK, but you get good at some things. You get good at writing for one and at writing conversationally, writing for the ear. You know, we used to call it in radio. and. That translates so well to, especially now in the digital age, to writing website copy and email newsletters and blog posts and things like that, that ear, um, the organizational skills that come out of it and, you know, having to be on time. You know, in radio, certain things happen at certain times, whether you're ready or not, so you'd better be ready. And you learn to think on your feet and to talk a little bit. And all of those things came together. And then as I became a marketer, you know, sort of self-taught at this company I worked for for all this time. And then along came the web and we built our first website. And then a few years later, you know, Web 2.0, we built the second website. And then shortly before I left, we built the third website and sort of being on board and up to my knees and all of that as, as it all grew around me was such a great education. This, this is really a wonderful time to be, uh, you know, an entrepreneur, whether you're doing it as, as a, the side hustle or, you know, as, as your main line of work. But you know, there's a lot of ways to measure success. You know, some of us like to see the numbers in the bank account. Some of us like to, you know, know that we have control over our schedule and the flexibility to do the things we want to do. Some of us just want to love our work. And however you want to look at it, this really has checked all the boxes for me. I've just never been happier professionally. We're talking about lessons in leadership with Jim Rafferty, and you can find him at leaderbyaccident.com. That's three words, leader by accident leader by accident.com jim let's kind of jump into your vision path here i'm probably hitting two roles here your role as a successful marketer and then your role as a leader so i'm kind of hitting two things i hope everyone can follow i'm i'm looking for my focus here is lessons for the audience lessons in leadership so i'm going to go to the boy scout story a little bit you just pushed in. You're just thrust into this leadership role. As you said, 11 of the 12 people were probably more qualified than you. You just jumped in, you took it. So I'm looking for lessons here. What was it like and what lessons can we learn from that? 
it was hard. It was very difficult. It was extremely emotional, as you can imagine. And it was incredibly rewarding because, you know, we really didn't know, as I said, if the troop would just fall apart, if the parents would not want their kids around those memories, who could blame them? Right. And instead, what happened was the opposite. You know, the very first thing I did was ask for help. And I think the lesson there for any new leader, any leader, whether you're new or not, honestly, is don't be afraid to admit what you don't know. And I was very upfront with both the parents and the scouts about my lack of experience and said, look, if this is going to work, some of you are going to need to step up and do some more than you've been doing. And you know what they did? They responded. And the troop not only survived, and th- but thrived. And not because of me, but because a lot of people stepped up and helped. Three other guys stepped up to be assistant scoutmasters and were able to handle the, the nuts and the bolts and the scouting stuff that I didn't know and sort of be my training wheels so that I could learn on the job. And then I was free to lead and, and sort of be the voice to the, the scouts. And while well, a number of other parents, plus my assistant scoutmasters, did a lot of things. So that was a really good first lesson is sometimes you, it's, it's OK to ask for help. It's OK to admit what you don't know. And some, that can really work. Asking for help sounds easy, but knowing that you need help almost sounds like embarrassing because it's like, for me, I should know. And here I am asking for help. It's almost like, uh, do I really want to ask for help? But yet I think it takes a little bit of bravery and courage to do that. What do you think? It does. It's a huge challenge. And I think it's especially a huge challenge for younger leaders. So I, I compare the, the me who stepped into the scoutmaster job at, at that age to the 28-year-old the me who moved to Baltimore to be program director of a radio station and to manage a staff of six, seven, eight people, all of whom were older than me and some significantly older. And I would never have admitted that I didn't know something because I felt like I had to put my stamps on things and I was the boss and they were going to do what I said and that if I showed any weakness, I'd be done for. And that's so wrong. I mean, I know now, right? Uh, we, we can lead with empathy and we can lead with vulnerability and it's okay. And it often works better. And we, we'd see it over and over again with the, the scouts themselves too. You know, some of my lessons in scouting were in being a leader and others were in teaching leadership to teenagers, basically. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move along your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, Lessons in Leadership with Jim Rafferty. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Cha-ching! It's the sound we all love. It means the sale, money. And it's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y. Shopify gives you, the entrepreneur, the resources once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses like yours can sell anywhere. With Shopify, you can synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. As you know, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibilities. And I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it so easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the world. All entrepreneurs have something to sell, whether it's a product or a service. So search for your category on Shopify and you're going to be amazed at the suggestions. Perhaps that's going to stimulate you to create another great product to sell and cha-ching! And did you know Shopify powers over 2 million businesses from first sale to full scale? So synchronize your online and in-person sales and gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. You know, it's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. Go to shopify.com slash Tony, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash Tony right now. Shopify.com slash Tony. And that's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash T-O-N-Y. And cha-ching your way to the top with Shopify. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests. 
Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Lessons in Leadership with Jim Rafferty. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at TonyDURSO.com slash podcast. And now, back to the chat with Jim. And over and over again, the scenario would repeat where a young man would get promoted to, say, you know, patrol leader or whatever the next step up was. And he'd go, well, these peons now listen, have to listen to what I do and do what I tell them at all. And everybody else would sort of laugh at him or ignore him. And he'd come back to us in tears. So we say, OK, well, what did we learn here? Right. That's not how it works. Being a leader doesn't mean being the boss and you sit there and point to people and tell them what to do. You know, it means some very different things and it's a little more complicated than that. And eventually they would learn. Being strong to recognize where one is weak and asking for help in that. And I think that kind of lends itself to, especially when you're in something new, being the leader of the Boy Scout troop, you got to dance to the tune. You you just can't sit there and study and go take a class and think about it. You got to act. You got to survive. You got to move. And there's lessons there and how to roll with it because people that are, watch a leader watch every move sometimes. And if the leader's not strong or acts undecisive, that threatens, it just goes down the whole chain. So you've got to act strong, even if you necessarily don't feel strong. So I'm looking for any lessons here in adapting, succeeding, and hey, I'm the leader. Yeah, exactly right. And as much as I really don't like that old phrase about fake it till you make it, you know, I think when you're dropped into a situation like that, you have to at least to the point of being the cooler head, right? And, and being level-headed and not reacting with panic when things, you know, whatever's going on underneath, sometimes you have to hide that for the betterment of the group. And, you know, I was very honest with the scouts and their parents that I was not experienced at this and we would get through it together. And we did. And, and I think the other thing that really makes a difference that has some good parallels to the business leadership world is that, we did not hide from what happened at all, the, the Browning family tragedy. You know, we discussed it regularly and we healed together. And when developments came up in the news about it afterwards, we talked those through. And, you know, we didn't make any attempt to sweep it under the rug. And, and I think that's a pretty good approach in a lot of leadership situations in, in, you know, commercial settings as well. One thing about being an entrepreneur, kind of switching a little bit to that, because I think it's kind of in train, in sync with where we're going is, well, you work for no money. You're, you're doing your own business. You're, you may have a team. You may have people. Nobody's there to say, hey, you're doing a good job, Jim. Keep it up. Keep it up. There's no money yet, but you're doing a great job. It's like nobody's there to pat us on the back. Nobody's there to thank us. And yet we push through. And I think that lends itself to some of the questions I asked earlier, like the purpose. but. I'd like to kind of go into that and what lessons there may be there, because, again, there's nobody taking out a newspaper article saying we're doing a great job. It's so true. And when I talk to groups like you in a keynote setting, I always bring this up because we talk about what you and I just talked about, about getting out of your comfort zone and the the incredible and life changing things that can happen when you do that. But then here's the point I make at the end, because this is the part we miss. That once you've done that, once you've taken the step to challenge yourself to do the thing that scares you a little bit, for heaven's sake, give yourself that pat on the back, even if it didn't turn out the way you'd hoped, right? Give yourself credit for trying and take the time to think about what happened, what went right, what went wrong, what you would do differently the next time. And that's the part we miss because, you know, we're so busy and we have these to do lists that are this long and our phones chime and ding and buzz and demand our attention from 100 different directions all day long. And our time for reflection gets lost. And that's so important. You know, I, I didn't wake up one day and go, hey, you know what? I hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back. Therefore, I am going to go launch a business and be an entrepreneur. I just did it. The connecting of those dots came much later when you look back and reflect and you think, my Lord, whatever gave me the guts to think I could do that? And then the answer becomes clear. You know, so it's so important. I, I always hear that saying about how, you know, the windshield is so much bigger than the rearview mirror because we should be looking ahead and not looking back and all. And, yeah, OK, there's some truth in that. But that rearview mirror has a lot of lessons to teach us if we will take the time to, to look in it. Totally agree. 
So what should we do aside from, you know, acknowledge our success where we have a success in our entrepreneurship, in our business? Are there any other steps there? Or if you've mentioned them, I want to make sure that the audience understands these are actionable steps. These are the workable steps for you being that leader, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you manage yourself, a couple, a couple of VAs or, or a team. Yeah. And just as there's never been, in my estimation, a, be- a better time to be a, an entrepreneur, you know, it's never been easier to be a solo entrepreneur, right? Because we can do everything remotely from anywhere and all and that. And that's great. But the solo entrepreneur, especially, I mean, you sort of lose that office tribe. And, and as you just put it, Tony, you know, you don't have anybody patting you on the back. You don't have a boss to say, hey, you did a good job on this or this was pretty good. But have you thought about this? You know, you're, you're your own feedback loop. So the thing I mentioned a couple of times in the book and, and again, when I speak to a group is don't go it alone. I mean, be in the habit of, at the very least of getting out and having coffees and lunches. It, it's really easy here, especially post lockdown. We've all gotten used to being shut in our houses, right? In our offices, we need to get out and we need to see people and, and bounce ideas off them and have that human interaction. And in a more structured way, one of the things that's really worked for me is a monthly business peer group that I belong to where, you know, we take one morning a month and sit around a conference table, eight to 12 people and talk about our business challenges and sometimes our personal challenges. It gets very personal. We get to know each other very well, but that replaces that tribe that you don't have when you're going it on your own as a solo entrepreneur. And I should add, if you're the, a leader in a bigger organization, it gets you out of your echo chamber, you know, of, you know, what you're going to hear in the hallways of your own organization. You get some more unvarnished feedback, I think, from a from an impartial group like that. That's been a huge part of my success, not just because it's led to a bunch of business from the people I've met in these groups, which it has, but more importantly, really, I think in in being that voice and being that pat on the back, the, the kick in the pants when the kick in the pants is called for. You know, and being that sort of feedback loop that you lose if you are going it on your own. Jim, in going through your book, I ran into a title here, The Vital Role of Language in a Healthy Organizational Culture. Can you tell us more about this? Yeah, that grows out of really a couple of stories. I'll tell one briefly here where one of my scouts and I were setting up chairs before a meeting one time. This was the fall of his junior year of high school. And we're just chit chatting. And I knew, you know, where he was in school. And I asked him if he'd started to think about college majors yet. And he mentioned a couple of possibilities. He said, Mr. Rafferty, what do you think I should do? And I said, well, I, I don't know. What, what do you like to do? What interests you? And we talked a little bit more about that. And I'm a little embarrassed to say I sort of forgot the conversation ever happened because it was just you know, small talk. A year and a half later, when this young man reached the rank of Eagle Scout, he sent me a handwritten note to thank me for you know, my role in that, which was not much. But in that note, he recalled that conversation that I, for, that I had forgotten. And he said that was the first time in his life that anyone had ever asked him what he wanted to do with his own life, which at 15 or 16 years old, you know, was kind of incomprehensible to me. But the lesson there for me was... When somebody is looking to you for leadership, what you think is a throwaway comment, small talk, right? Something meaningless might be taken much more to heart than you ever thought. Now, in this case, that was a good thing, I think, you know, maybe at least change the perspective a little bit, but it's so easy for it to go the other way. And especially in a business setting now, because we've got all these ways to communicate and most of them involve typing. Right. We're we're IMing, we're texting, we're slacking, you know, we're doing all this stuff. And it's very easy for our intent to get lost in the written word that would be very different if we're and especially here again, we've been physically separated, you know, very easy for our intent to get lost in a way that it would not if we were face to face or at least talking, you know, on a standard telephone call. So if if I'm a leader, I'm going to sure be in the habit of following up on anything halfway important that I sent in writing, not only to make sure that it was received and understood, but also that it was interpreted the way I wanted, because that can go south really easily. And what happens is then you've got somebody who's really cheesed off and you're the last one to know about it. And you never want that in your organization. And so that that really for me, I mean, there, there are several examples in the book and there's a there's a great quote from Tom Peters that sort of crystallizes all this, but the, va- the value and the, the, the 
importance of the language that we use as leaders and that we really can't take it for granted. Okay, everybody, let's get to the edge of our chair. I'm going to ask Jim for the secret sauce. Jim, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'd like to know from you, what do you believe? What do you feel? What do you know? What is leadership? What is it not? There are so many great definitions of leadership. There are so many great quotes about leadership. You know, we could talk all day and into tomorrow about this and and I love them all. And there's some truth in all of them. You know, one of my favorites, and I won't get it exactly, but Eisenhower said, you know, leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because he wants to do it. You know, and and there's some truth in that, right? But you know, in the end, I think the answer is simple, which doesn't make it easy. But I think being a good leader boils down to being a good person. You know, we have seen such a need for empathetic leadership here over the past couple of years, where in a business setting now, you're not just managing somebody. You had to manage somebody who's trying to figure out the technology that you and I are using right now to talk from 3000 miles away while they're also trying to take care of their pets and maybe homeschool their kids in the early part of the pandemic. You know, and we had to all find these new reservoirs of empathy to let them know that we understood what they were going through. And and not only that, but we had to do it without being in person and having those nonverbal cues that we would have if they were across our desk from us. And it's been such a vital thing, you know, in over these last couple of years. And it's a little different right now, but still a real challenge when we look at, you know, the great resignation. And one study I saw said something like 70%, 70% of American workers are thinking about moving to another job or leaving their current job or, you know, I mean, that's staggering. And, you know, if we go by the old adage, which is another one of my favorites, that people join companies, but they quit bosses. That's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure on you as a boss. It really is. And we need to find those levels of empathy and let them know that we care not just about what they can produce for us during the hours that they're on duty, but that we, we care about the people who work for us as human beings. I love that answer. And I've worked in corporate for some 32 years, I think. And what you've just said is the antithesis. It's the opposite of how I was trained by example in seeing leaders It has nothing to do with you being a person. In fact, you're not a person. You're just a statistic maker, doer, go get it, or you're out of here. That was the culture I grew up in. It had nothing to do with being a person. And when you look back and you go, this is a leader today, it's about the person being a person and his character coming through. Man, it's such a juxtaposition to to how it was back then. I love that answer. And it sounds so simple to say, just be a good person. But being a good person isn't easy all the time, right? It's, it, that's in 100 decisions we make every day. And it's not something we can turn on at the office door, I think. That's, you know, the other thing I say. Somebody asked me recently in an interview, like, what advice would you give to, you know, people in this situation who are going into work trying to lead? And I said, use your turn signals. When you drive to work, acknowledge that there are other people on the road and don't treat them like obstacles. Treat them like other human beings. Because you can't just get to work and flip your little switch or put on your hat and say, now I'm an empathetic leader if you're not being a decent human being the rest of the time. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move along your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, Lessons in Leadership with Jim Rafferty. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. 
All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Lessons in Leadership with Jim Rafferty. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at TonyDurso.com slash podcast. And now, back to the chat with Jim. You know, I may go off topic here, but one of the things that I see just hitting it like a brick wall is money. I've seen people take money that they should not have taken, and I've done my part in saying that shouldn't be. I've seen it, and they're not being a good person. They're just taking the money, saying anything to take money. And this is what I witness with my own eyes and, and ears and brain in the corporate world. And it's like, I don't want to be part of this. And wherever I went, I kept running into that. Now, if that's gone, that's great. But that was such a opposite end. It was just like anything that can be done to take the money, take it. But that's wrong. It is wrong. And it's not always with ill intent either. I very early in my days of launching my business, I, I overreached on one. You know, I had this big opportunity. You know, and my my dance card was not anywhere near full at this point. So, of course, you want to go try to get it. And, you know, in hindsight, I probably overpromised and I took on some stuff that was not necessarily right in my wheelhouse. And predictably, that was the part that didn't go well. And it wasn't 100 percent on me. Um, you know, I had some issues with the client also, but I'll take my share of credit for the fact that it did not work out long term because, you know, I, you know, I saw the big number and in my head decided that I would, you know, I would make it work and it, it wasn't going to be workable ever. I am like reading between the lines because I've been there, done that. And you're expecting the team to do their part. And though you think, oh, I can do this job. It's sizable. It's got a lot of money attached to it. I can do this job. But you, I find you're only as good, I guess, as all the members of your team, because if they screw it up, then, then it's on you, even though you weren't trying to screw it up. 100%. Yep. Absolutely true. And I think that kind of in terms of the being a good person, and we're kind of developing that as we go along here, which what does that got to do with leadership? Hang on, everyone. There's one thing I think that kind of ties it all together, Jim, and that is being grateful for what's going on and using gratitude. And tell us you, about cultivating You just that. hit on the third pillar of leader by accident. So thank you very much for that. I'll set this up by saying that the, the structure of the book has to do with something called the Scoutmaster Minute. And in Boy Scouting, the Scoutmaster Minute is a brief little homily, let's call it, delivered by the Scoutmaster at the end of each weekly meeting designed to send the boys out the door with a positive, motivational, inspirational thought, something, something good to leave in their heads until the next meeting. And when I took over that Scoutmaster role, I thought, well, I may not know three ways to start a fire without matches, but giving a homily to a captive audience, that's probably something I can do. So I, I worked hard on those over those five years and they were very well received. And I kept an archive of them mostly so I wouldn't repeat myself. But I use those throughout the book, throughout Leader by Accident to sort of tee up the next chapter and then take that lesson that I was trying to teach to the scouts and translate it for things that are meaningful to you and me and people trying to make it in the business world. That's a long way to saying that when I put all that together, I realized how much of a recurring theme gratitude was in my messaging to the scouts. And it's such a wonderful moment in their lives to teach that because, you know, in, at 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, they're, they're forming the habits that are going to be with them the rest of the way for the most part, you know, for good or bad. And I tried to repeatedly make the point that gratitude is a habit. It's something you, it's not necessarily something you have. It's something you have to do and make a little effort at to notice the things that are good that go through your day. And some of those messages were the ones that really resonated the most with the scouts. I, I always tell the story like towards the end I, of my tenure as scoutmaster, I had a really busy week. It was also my first year as an entrepreneur. So I had a really busy week and I had to dig into the archives and recycle an old Scoutmaster Minute. It was one of the ones about gratitude. And I delivered the opening line and one of my older scouts goes, oh, I remember this one. It was four and a half years later. And I thought, when was the last time you told something to a teenager that they remembered four and a half years later? It was so, so very gratifying. But back then, you know, social media was just starting to be a thing. And our 
political climate, which I don't even like to talk about, you know, was not what it is now. And the point being that what was then, I think, a trickle of negativity in what we consume with our eyes and ears every day has sort of become a fire hose. And it takes more effort and it is even more important now than it was then. I think that we work a little bit to cultivate the sense of gratitude and to focus on the things that are good every single day. So some people do journaling. I think that's great. I'm probably not that ambitious, but my thing is every night, and I started doing this right around the time I launched my business. Every night, last thing I do before I close my eyes is come up with three things that happened that day that I am grateful for. And some days it's a real challenge to come up with three things, right? And other days it's a challenge to decide which three things make the list. And that's a really valuable exercise too in, in you know, what's really important in our lives. But I highly recommend that or gratitude journaling or any number of other things that might work for you, but it doesn't happen by accident. We've got to make the effort to cultivate that sense of gratitude and it will make a difference. I'm not happy all the time. I don't go around whistling all day long, but I I am more content and more at peace with myself and in a better place overall than I was then because I do that. There's no doubt. Jim, I'm sure you can imagine after my little brief piece of information on my corporate years that gratitude was a stranger to me. And when I left corporate world and became an entrepreneur, which is a, which is a great story, I've heard about this word called gratitude. And I tell you, honestly, it deflected off me like I had the best Kevlar vest ever. I was Superman. It was a bullet. It was just it just never made sense. And I couldn't tell you where or when or how, but as I started wrestling with this term gratitude, and I'm speaking to everybody here in the audience, this may be you. You may feel the same way. It's like, what am I being grateful for? I've got bills. I've got problems. I've got this. And that's kind of how I was. You know, just give me the money. I got to survive. Been there, done that. But the more you focus on it, the more you wrestle with it, the more you think, ponder, the more you do it, the more everything becomes better. It's, it sounds like a, a panacea to everything, but it's so powerful. I just have to say that I am so different than how I was when I came out of corporate America. It's like, what gratitude? Just give me the money. I, I wasn't that kind of a person, but even, you know, that was the environment I was in. Gratitude is so important and it really opens up doors. It sounds like hocus pocus, but it's not. It's just because we're, we're, we're changing the thing that we have control over, and that's the space between our ears, right? So even if nothing external changes, but it will, right? The way we approach it changes, and that in turn affects the change that we want in our lives. It, it's, it's crazy. It's just amazing the way it's worked out. And why we don't teach that in corporate America, I don't know. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move along your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, Lessons in Leadership with Jim Rafferty. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. You're listening to The Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Erso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Lessons in Leadership with Jim Rafferty. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at Tony. D-U-R-S-O.com slash podcast. And now back to the chat with Jim. Very wise, very sage. I want to thank you. Once again, we spoke about lessons in leadership with Jim Rafferty. And again, you can find them. It's the same title of the book. You can see the book here for those that are seeing this on video. The book's called Leader by Accident. That's three words. Put a dot com, leaderbyaccident.com. Get the book. 
get to learn about Jim and his marketing services as well. Jim, I want to thank you so much for sharing with us today. I absolutely loved it. And, and as a marketing person, I learned or reaffirmed, is that the right phrase? Or re, when you learn something, but on a higher level, well, I did that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. My pleasure. And here's an insider's brief about finding your clarity, resolve, and purpose. Yes, all three. Now, when you need someone to help you rise up through the different levels of growth, you're best served by having a coach help you the entire way. Now, I mean a plan, coaching, and accountability. No one gets there alone. No one. So let's bring in the special forces. Meet Otis McGregor. He's a U.S. Army Green Beret for 25 years, and he's done it from driving tanks to doing missions in the most extreme conditions all over the world. His business focus is on tribe plus purpose to help leaders like you lead high-performing teams. Hi, Otis, and welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Hey, Tony. Great to be here, man. I really appreciate the chance to get to chat with you. The honor is mine. You're the first Green Beret, I believe, that I've interviewed. I've interviewed Special Forces, SEAL. Now I've got a Green Beret interview. Hey, hey. <laughs> Ticking those boxes off, man. That's right. <laughs> and what I want to do is jump into that. You went from dangerous missions all over the world, Otis, to being an executive coach. Tell yeah. us about that. Well, uh, it, was, it was a bit of a journey, actually. When I retired from the Army, I, I had... The, the irony is when I, my army career, I had, a, I had the plan. I knew exactly my goals, my vision, knew exactly what I wanted to do in my army career. When I got out, my plan was to get a job. And uh, that's not much of a plan. That's, uh, and, and it took me seven years of bouncing from company to company uh, to finally figure out what, what I was supposed to be doing, who I was supposed to be. And the irony to me, and I think to most people, the irony is that I was led down this path by coaching boys high school rugby. And boys high school rugby, which is a, not a sport I played, not a sport I knew anything about when I started, uh, is what led me to becoming an, an executive coach, a leadership coach. So, yeah, a lot, a lot, of, uh, a lot of fun there in that. In those life lessons, I used to even tell people that the only reason I worked was so that I could coach rugby. And as I and rugby is brutal stuff. This is not just football, folks. This is the brutal stuff. I mean, that takes quite something to be rugby, it, to do rugby, it, it, yeah. and be it. I think I think you become it uh, when you, <laughs> when you dive into the game. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, but it's it's an amazing teamwork, strategy, physical effort. Uh, all those things that were that really hit home for me from being in special ops, being a Green Beret, because teamwork was so important. Putting in all the physical effort, doing those those long movements, whether it was training or on a mission, and doing that hard work no matter what in order to get the outcome we wanted to achieve, you know, to accomplish the mission. And rugby really was a great match for that, and coaching it is what helped me realize that that's how I had led in the teams, in the, in the Green Beret teams. And what I needed to do was to share that, share that knowledge, share those experiences so others could be great leaders going forward in their life. Now, Otis, I'm going to um, kind of flip it a little bit. You're all about right now helping leaders, executives find their purpose. I'm going to flip it just a little bit back to you. You're a Green Beret. You're in the military. We talked about it for 25 years. Probably friends and family would have expected you to be what's called a lifer and just stay on. Somewhere along the line, you found your purpose and you go, oh, this is what I want to do. So let's take us down into there where you discovered who you really wanted to be yourself. Yeah. Well, uh, when, I, when I realized that, I was sitting here in my home office feeling sorry for myself, reflecting on my life. Uh, since leaving the army and, and literally was, was a hot summer day, no air conditioning here in the mountains and feeling sorry for myself, wondering who I was supposed to be and realized that since leaving the army, army only two things had been uh, consistent in my life. Number one, my family. Number two, rugby. 
coaching rugby. And as I mentioned earlier about shifting to becoming a, an executive coach, the why that I realized was to create a legacy of leaders is the way I like to think about it. Because when we have great leaders, we can create great organizations. And when we have great organizations and communities, then we have better communities. And when we have better communities around the world, we'll have a better world. So that's my, that's my purpose is to create a legacy of leaders to create a better world. That's the why of it. And that's what, that's what gets me up every day and, and, and drives me to, to, to do what I do to help people become better leaders so they can, they can pass it on, so they can have better organizations, better teams, and more success in their life. Otis, what I like about coaches, consultants, is they have such hands-on experience, boots on the ground. They've been there. They've, 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 they've screwed up a lot. So I'm going to ask you a question, which can go to your military or to your present. I'm just going to ask you, what's the biggest mistake you ever made? <laughs> when, I, when I became an entrepreneur, when I became a business owner, I thought if I just put a sign out in my yard, that people would just flock to me. Hey, here I am. I'm a, I'm a great uh, you know, business experience, leadership. Everybody should come and uh, hire me. That's the biggest mistake I, I made in, in business, uh, frankly, because it doesn't work that way. You know, the old, uh, uh, if you build it, they will come. That only happens in the mil- movies. I can tell you that. <laughs> So after all that, now that you're an executive coach and you can look back, I want to ask you a couple of questions to kind of do the segue. First, I'm curious, 25 years. I mean, when I've been into something that long, I kind of tend to miss it. I kind of really wish sometimes. So did you ever get the urge to just go re-enlist that maybe that sign on your front, front lawn didn't kind of bring in all the work you wanted? Like, maybe I should just go back because at least I know how it works there enough. And I'm successful there. Oh. So do you really miss it? And, and did you ever want to just go back? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I did miss it. I, st- I still miss it. You know, I talked to uh, buddies that I served with. You know, that's, that's the stories we always talk about over beer. You know, beer or whiskey is, is how great it was back then. Uh, but, you know, it, you also realize it was time for me to move on. Yeah, I knew what was going on. I knew how to do it. I was very comfortable. But that season of my life was, had also come to an end. There was things happening in the family, things happening in my life, how I felt, where I was, what I, what I, I thought I needed to do uh, at that moment. And that's why I decided, you know, after 25 years, that was the time for me to move on to the next thing in my life. And in that as well, with being the executive coach, would you say, well, what's a good way to say it? What would you say is some of the, the, best, the best that you've taken with you, if that's even a good question? You've been in the military for so long, but is there something important that you feel has helped make you so successful today in what you're doing? Yeah. And, and I, I, didn't, I didn't understand how to explain it until... Uh, maybe a year or so ago, and I call it the trust triad of leadership. And the trust triad of leadership is is simply this. You have to trust yourself. You have to trust your team, and then your team trusts you. So to define that a little bit more, trust yourself, trust the decisions that you make are the best decisions that you can make in the moment with the information and time that you have available to make the decision. Trust yourself. Trust your team. Why are they there? Why do you have a team? Why is that person on the team? Trust them to do the job that you hired them to do. Otherwise, get rid of them or find the right person to do the job. Teach them how to do the job properly, your job as a, as a leader. So that's number two, trust your team to perform. And then number three, when one and two are in place, your team trusts you to best make the best decisions that you can make for the team, with the team in mind, the team's success in mind, not how am I the leader going to get more money? How am I the leader going to get that promotion? How are we, the team, going to succeed? 
the team believes that every decision the leader makes is for the benefit of the team. So it's trust yourself, trust your team, and the team trusts you. That trust triad is something I pulled from my time in special forces. And I use now as a leader and also in my, in my coaching leaders. Otis, as you were saying that, I was getting this visual of like, you know how people say, hey, it's all downhill from now, which I don't like downhill. I like uphill because uphill is successful. Mm. But it's the feeling, the concept of going downhill, you're picking up speed, or that snowball, it's picking up speed, it's growing. So I really kind of got that concept, but the reverse going up, mm-hmm. where you trust, you trust your people, then they trust you, and then more trust and more and more success. It's a very unique idea, and this is the best way that I've heard it explained, I think, in all of my career on interviewing people. So I really like how you put that together, that Thanks. trust team triad, the triple T, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust The trust triad, leadership trust triad, yeah. It's uh, simplified, simplifying that leadership. Yeah. And, and Otis, you have a new book. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's, it's Enable Your Team Success. And what I talk about there is, is, is how, to, how to build a team. What's the process? How to create a team that, that is in a constant state of improvement and wants to get better as a team, as an organization, to the point where you hit flow, to where everybody on the team understands what other members of the team's weaknesses and strengths are so that you can anticipate those and complement them and cover for them, frankly, where, where those weaknesses are. And you know, you know what your teammate down the hall is going to do in a certain situation, how he writes reports, how he might respond to an email. You understand that. And when you have that flow, the team starts to operate as an entire organization instead of a group of individuals. Uh, if I remember right, uh, it's always it's always a this is almost as bad as public math, but is quoting somebody, and it was Aristotle who said that the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, and that's what you're looking for with the team. And how long have you been being an executive coach now? Because I, I keep saying the 25 years in the military, mm-hmm. and what are we balancing that with on in terms of uh, being an executive coach? So 25 years in the military, seven years in the corporate world, and then five years, the last five years, I've been an executive coach. So let me ask you, now that you have your book and you have all this additional experience under your belt, of course, the military experience is very unique in its own. What does an ideal client look like for you? And uh, we have entrepreneurs in the audience, businessmen. What would be an ideal person that you think that you can help a lot or you believe you could help a lot? Well, we, uh, it, it's great that you asked that because we've just refocused uh, on former special operators who own a business. So going back to my heritage, you know, the guys and the gals that I, I used to serve with and helping them regain that identity and focus in pursuit of their purpose and living with intention. Because one of the things, when, when we take off the uniform, we lose that identity. And, and even in that business sense, we still can lose that if we're not careful. So it's a, it's a very, very unique group of individuals in that the, the values, the, the work ethics, the, the bona fides that we all have because of our backgrounds, and that desire to still serve. And the desire to operate as a team, which is the, the piece, that's where the tribe part of tribe and purpose comes into play, is being part of an organization that wants everybody in that organization to succeed. So that's the ideal client is former special operators who own their business and are struggling to achieve, have that feeling of fulfillment. I like that a lot. And I hadn't mentioned it or gone into this part yet, is I have multiple friends that have been in the military, and it's really difficult. I mean, underscored for, it's such a culture shock to go from the military into whatever you want to call this, the regular world. Several several of them re-enlisted and went back because they just really couldn't deal 
with with what this it, it's so different and and i really like the fact that you your business you help these people kind of settle in or whatever the words are you want and acclimate to this lifestyle because it is so different and perhaps you could help um you could uh, if you want to say something more about how you can actually bring that about you know for any of the people that are in the service or were in the service you know this will resonate with them well one of the big things and, and by the way one of my volunteer things is i, I give back to uh those guys and gals and help help them create that path post-military create that next adventure is the way i like to have them think as, as a coach uh but is is helping the 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 biggest thing i think is you have all the skill sets but the hardest part about it is turning the skills on yourself starting to take realize that you got to put yourself first uh, one of the things that everybody in the service uh, comes to be is the fact that somebody else is always more important than themselves, that attitude of service. And when you, when you step out of the uniform, you've got to take the time to put yourself first and use those skills, those planning skills, those risk analysis skills, all those things that got drilled into us that that we would plan operations that people could die on, people do die on and, and do, and turning those back on ourselves, those same skills on ourselves is extremely difficult to start to think about ourselves in that way. How do I, what's my plan to take care of me? And that's a hard statement to even say that for guys to even think that. So that's that's it. And then I'll, I'll say one other thing and and, in the special ops world, the Green Beret world, we were extreme. We are the guys still are extremely good at adapting to a culture. All you've got to do is those skills, those military skills, is translate the language and adapt to the new culture that you're stepping into. That's that's it. It's easy for me to say. I've done it. Took me seven years to do it, but it can be done, and it can be done much faster than seven years. Believe me. <laughs> And by the way, that is a very humbling attitude that the others are more important than you. I really like that. It's very humble. I like, I like that foundation. And for, uh, for our audience here, you can find his book and more about him at tribe-purpose.com. I'm going to spell that. Tribe, that's T-R-I-B-E. We all know that word. word, word. And then there's a, a dash, a little dash. Tribe dash, just a little dash, a symbol. Purpose.com, tribe-purpose.com. This is Otis McGregor. Otis, I just want to thank you so much for sharing this with us. It was very interesting, and uh, and I and I really wish you well, and I hope you help a lot more servicemen in what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. We discussed lessons in leadership with Jim Rafferty. That was wonderful. We talked about so many points. It was like, well, he was thrust into a demanding volunteer leadership role without any warning. He had to learn how to quickly adapt, succeed, and thrive in that role. And as an entrepreneur, uh, kind of going back and forth a little bit on a few things, it's, it's a thankless job. And we have to thank ourselves. And we talked about how to translate and put in the steps for a business leader and how do we operate and act as a leader and act with leadership it's a whole new world from the days when i was there you got to be out of your comfort zone on a lot of things we talked about the role of language in the organization we talked about what's leadership and what it isn't i consider that was secret sauce material we talked about gratitude that's really something i like to know what you think about that particular point because for me it was just way over my head and i think the biggest point if i want to say the secret sauce to everything was a marketing lesson in speaking to one person in any marketing communication i'd like to know what you think about this what resonated the most with you tell me and please remember supporting the show with a nice review on apple podcasts if you have any apple device you win you qualify so I would appreciate that very much. And of course, I say this a lot, share this with a few friends and help them too. It's friends helping friends that help us all succeed, okay? 
Let's use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks. And remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 